last few weeks we've been learning about the most important man that ever lived. And I don't say that about him. Jesus said that about this man. He says it over Matthew eleven eleven. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Six months before Jesus came into the world, John the Baptist was born. And he is known as the forerunner. The one who comes before. And turn me down. Wireless one. There you go. Thank you, sir. I thought I needed to either place an order or tell an airplane to land. It was really strong. Come in, flight. No. This is the forerunner. We've been looking at him for the last two weeks, and let me just kind of remind you some information about the forerunner. He's mentioned 20 in 23 chapters of the Bible. In 23 different chapters of Scripture, we learn and talk about John the Baptist. Think about it this way. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And in 23 of those, we read about this man named John. We've also learned over the last few weeks that his birth was foretold. It was foretold in 703 B.C. That's before Christ. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 40. About the coming of the one who would proclaim the voice crying out in the wilderness. But here's something we haven't talked about that kind of leads us into this morning's time together. He is one of four people prophesied to come. The first is the Messiah. The Messiah was the first one prophesied to come. We read about that in Genesis. We read that in other passages of Scripture. But then there's a gentleman by the name of Cyrus the Persian. Cyrus the Persian. Before just this moment, how many of you had ever heard that name before? Neither had I. I had to do some research on who Cyrus was. He's mentioned in one passage of Scripture, Isaiah 45, verse 1. But this is the one, this is the man who would end the Babylonian captivity of the Hebrews. This is the man who would tell the Hebrews to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Yet in Isaiah 45, 1, he is prophesied as being one who would come to restore the people. The third person who's prophesied in Scripture we know is the Antichrist. And we know he's still coming. We read about him in Scripture. We read about him in Daniel. We read about him in Revelation. We know he's coming. And he's going to turn the world upside down. And then there's the fourth person, the forerunner. And that's what we've been talking about for the last two weeks. We read about him in Malachi. We've read about him both times in Malachi. It is interesting that if you look at Scripture, God's last words in the Old Testament were about John the Baptist. The very last words in Scripture. Jesus, God says, I'm bringing someone to go ahead. I'm sending someone to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. So the last words of the Old Testament talk about this man. But God's first words in the New Testament are also about him. We read about that over in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Now, something we learned about this man named John last week after Zechariah had his encounter with Gabriel. Gabriel told Zechariah that this child would be a Nazarite. He would be a very specific 
person. He was a Nazarite from birth. That means they did not drink. They did not do certain things. They kept that vow to focus on God. It's interesting. Jesus talks about this over in Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19. He says these words. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard. Because John was different, people talked about him. Because Jesus was different, people talked about him. But we think about John, he was set apart for this purpose. We learned last week that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. While Elizabeth is carrying this child and Mary shows up, we read about that last week, we know that Scripture says that when the child that Elizabeth was carrying heard Mary's voice, he leaped with excitement because he'd been touched by the Holy Spirit. Something else we learned last week, we learned that his parents were too old to have children, at least by the world standards. They're too old to have children. Remember, we learned last week that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying daily for a child, been crying out to God to give them a child. And God answered that prayer on his timing, not their timing. But we also remember that with that announcement, when Zechariah hears from Gabriel, guess what? You're going to be a dad. And Zechariah says, well, how's that supposed to work? And we know what happens next, and leads to that next point. Zechariah's mouth was shut when he doubted the angel's announcement. Because he doubted the angel's proclamation. The one person who should never have doubted an angel, this man who was a priest, this man who had studied God's scripture, this man who was walking with God according to what we read last week, sees God's messenger in front of him, and he doubts him. And we see what happens there. But then there's one more thought in this list about John that we're looking at this morning. Mary was present at, for his birth or left soon before it happened. So how do we know this? Well, we know that Elizabeth is six months pregnant by the time Mary reveals, and her, reveals that she is with child. Mary goes to find Elizabeth, and we know that she stayed at Elizabeth's house for three months. Now, I am not a math major. But six plus three is nine. And last time I checked, a lady carries a baby for nine months before it comes into the world. That math I understand. And that's where we get this. So either Mary was there at the birth or she may have left soon after. But either way, we know that Mary is at Elizabeth's house and everything's about to take place. So as we've been thinking about John these last few weeks, I made a statement the very first week of this series that the Christmas story, when we think about the Christmas story, we always look at who? Thank you. I was worried there. I was really worried. I was thinking that church-wide jeopardy may have messed up some of y'all's minds here. They're all trick questions, yes. We think about Christmas, we think about Jesus, but remember we've learned already that we can't get to Jesus without John because John has to be the forerunner. John has to be one to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. So we think about that. We think about this most, this most important birth of history, the birth of the Messiah, but it comes with the bringing of that forerunner, the one who will proclaim the good news. 
last week we saw the announcement. Now I want to kind of jump ahead and fast forward. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1, I want to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I want to pick up with the birth of John. Now remember, Zachariah's mouth has been shut. He can't say a word, he can't say a thing until this baby comes into the world. Because it's interesting, if you go a few verses before, we, we're going to pick up this morning there in 57 of Luke chapter 1. And we're going to see what all takes place here. We're going to see what happens. And so join me as we read, starting in verse 57. Now Elizabeth full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Have you ever noticed something? That people in the Bible, they had babies real easy. Because you see what Scripture says here? It says at the moment of her time, the baby showed up. No fuss, no screaming, no getting mad at the world. Just, he shows up. I just find that interesting. But it says when time came, she delivered the baby. Verse 58, when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy with her, they rejoiced with her. Had she had Facebook, she'd have had 715 likes on that post alone. So on the eighth day, verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father, What would he have him called? And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all those who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David and has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, and you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. 
God records this story in Scripture, and there's so much we can take away from it, so much we can learn. We know that Zechariah and Elizabeth have brought this child into the world, but that this child was conceived by natural means where Mary's conception was through the Holy Spirit. We see both these children working together. We know that for the first three months, Mary had moved from Galilee to be with her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth brings this child we just read about in Scripture. But here's what is interesting. Before a king shows up, he needs a herald. He needs one to announce his coming. That's what we see in John. Because John is going to be Jesus' herald. I shared with you last week about the fact that a priest actually took on his role when he became 30. And he had a limited window of time of service. Something I neglected to share with you last week that's very interesting to think about in all this. Remember I told you Zechariah, it was his turn for his order of priests to go to the temple to bring bring in light the incense. The thing I neglected to share with you last week that once a priest did that, he never did it again. It was a one-time only event in his life. Only one time in the life of a priest could he go into the temple, stand before the Holy of Holies, and light that altar of incense. And here's Zechariah getting down to the end because we know that a priest served from the age 30 to 50. We already know his parents are too old to have children. But we see God working all these miracles. We see God working miraculously. We see God foretelling a forerunner to come before the Messiah, a herald before the king. And this is the reminder that I have to think about when I read this in Scripture. I see all these events taking place. Here's what God is telling Zechariah. He's telling Elizabeth. He's telling Mary. And he's telling me and you today. He's making this statement to us. My timing is perfect. We don't like that, though, do we? But we need to be reminded this morning that when God says that my timing is perfect, here's why. God's timing is perfect. How do we know that? How do we know this morning that God's timing is perfect? Well, look at the things we've already discussed and learned over the last number of weeks. John's birth was perfectly timed. John's birth into this world was perfectly timed. It was timed in such a manner that he had to come first so he could proclaim the coming of the Messiah. They couldn't have been, could not have both been born at the same time. One had to come first. So John comes first. His timing, his birth is perfect. Here's what else I find interesting in Scripture. The return of Zechariah's voice was perfectly timed. Looking at Luke chapter 1, look at verse 65 again. 65 and 66, look what it says there. Verse 65, Then the fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. Again, if you're a person who likes to make notes in your Bible, or make notes on your bulletin, or you bring a notebook to make notes, I would underline or write out that phrase, hill country of of Judea. And next to that verse in your Bible, I would encourage you to write this reference, Mark 1, 5. 
Now, some of you are saying, why do I need to do that, preacher? Here's why. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Turn to Mark chapter 1 for just a second. Mark chapter 1, verse 5 says, Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. The first part of verse 5 says they're going to the land of where? Judea. Where did we just read about in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 65? The hill country of Judea. This is still important. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and look at verse 66. And look at what the people said after Zechariah's mouth is opened and he's going to proclaim this news and this word about his child. Look what he says in verse 66. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was on him. Remember, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it says that John came baptizing and preaching. Verse 5 says that the hill country, all of Judea, came to hear him and came to be baptized. So here's what's interesting about this. Remember, a priest would start his ministry at the age of what? 30. So John the Baptist doesn't start his public ministry till he's 30. And he's starting Six months before Jesus shows up, and he is the herald. He is proclaiming the good news. Why is this important? Why even bring this up? Why point this out? Remember this. Where did John start his ministry? Where does he start his ministry? In the hill country of Judea. And who are the people that are coming to see him 30 years later? The same people they were talking about him when he was born. Again, look at verse 66 of Luke chapter 1. The people marveled at all this. The people were overwhelmed. And they said, what kind of child will this be? Well, they knew the answer. Go back to Mark chapter 1 verse 5. All the people were talking about this same child 30 years later. Notice this. Zechariah's mouth has been closed. Now it is open. And now it's time to celebrate the dedication of his child. God had created a stir in the people. Because look at what Zechariah says in verse 68. He said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. What Zechariah is telling you and me this morning is that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is always perfect. It's his timing, not my time, not your time. So how else do we know God's timing is perfect? Here's the other thought. Mary's pregnancy was perfectly timed. Mary's pregnancy was perfectly timed. How do you know this? Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. You know this passage of scripture. You know what has taken place. Caesar wanted to count the people. How many people are in my kingdom? 
So I'm going to make them all go back to their homeland to be counted for the census. We know this is all part of God's timing. This was all God, part of God's plan. How do I know that his, her pregnancy, how do I know that Mary's pregnancy is perfectly timed? Take your Bibles, turn to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Again, for some, this is going to be a very familiar passage of Scripture. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are of from old, from everlasting. How many of you this morning, you don't have to give me a show of hands, how many of you this morning have ever been frustrated with God because you don't think he has shown up yet? Or you don't think God has done what he said he's going to do? Or you don't think God's going to do what you've asked him to do? How many times have you been so frustrated because you think God is running late? Or you think that he's tied up somewhere else? Or worse, that God is on his own agenda and not listening to you? I've already made the statement that God's timing is what? Perfect. His timing is perfect. He is never early. He is never late. He is always right on time. And when he's right on time, he accomplishes exactly what he wants to accomplish. It's part of his plan and his will. And so here is the statement that I take away from that thinking about God's timing being perfect. It's simply this, by doing what he does when he does it, he always does more than we could have asked or imagined. Hmm, where have we heard that before? Ephesians 3.20 sounds familiar, doesn't it? That he is able to do exceedingly, exceedingly abundantly more than you can imagine. Why? Because his timing is perfect. His timing is always perfect perfect but still we struggle with these things we think about Zachariah and Elizabeth for a second they've been praying for years for his child and praying and praying and praying and wondering if God was going to answer their prayer and yet God's timing is perfect Mary Mary wasn't thinking about children when Gabriel showed up having a child was the farthest thing from her mind she was engaged thinking about a wedding and Gabriel says, guess what? You're going to carry the Savior of the world. Why? Because his timing is perfect. But again, if I were to ask you a show of hands, every hand would come up saying that there's a time you've been frustrated with God because he didn't show up when you thought he ought to show up. May I can remind you this morning that, yes, God answers prayers. Do you believe that this morning? God answers prayers. But I want to remind you how he answers those prayers. And it's caused me to reevaluate the way I think about praying. I used to have a really simple formula. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says wait. But as I've been thinking about these passages we've been looking at for the last few weeks, I've realized that, you know what, God really has a different plan when it comes to his timing and not mine. When it comes to the matter of prayer. And here's how I'm going to start thinking about prayer in my life, and I hope you would think about it in your life. When the prayer is wrong, God says no. When the prayer is wrong, God says no. I've prayed that prayer before. 
I thought, man, for sure this is what God wants me to do. For sure, I'm sure this is what God wants for my family. Our God wants for this or that. And God has said, no, that's not what I want. Why? Because the prayer is wrong. What about when the prayer is right, but you aren't? God says, grow. I've experienced this one in my life, J.B., where God has said, grow. I remember being a freshman in high school, walking down the aisle and telling God, I will serve you. God, I will serve you wherever you call me to serve. That was a freshman in high school. It wasn't until I after graduated high school and was in college where God finally said, okay, it's time to start. Why? Because I needed to grow in my walk with him. There are times that, yes, the prayer is going to be right, but you're not ready. You're not ready for what God has for you. My goodness, we see this all in Scripture. We see so many people that God has used, but he's put them in this position that, yeah, you are ready, but you're not quite there, so you need to grow. So when the prayer's wrong, he says, no, when the prayer's right, but you're not, he says, grow. When the prayer is right and you're right, but the timing is wrong, God says, slow. Slow. Because what's the worst thing you can do? Try to get ahead of God. God, I got this all figured out. Man, God, I've got this down. I am ready to go, and we try to get ahead of God. And we see what happens there. There are times when the prayer's right and you're right, but the timing's not there. So God says, you gotta slow just a little bit. Slow it down. We'll get there eventually. And then when the prayer's right and you're right and the timing is right, God says, go. I can promise you that in my life, my prayer life looks totally different now. Again, for so long, I used to be yes, no, wait. Now I'm understanding that sometimes it's no. Sometimes I have to grow. Sometimes I got to be a little slow. And sometimes I can go. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. So we see God's timing is perfect. We see that God is doing everything he has said he is going to do. But then I want you to see something. I want you to see what Zechariah does. Because he starts this time praising God for who he is. He cries out to God and says, God has blessed us. God has redeemed us. He's talking about them as a nation and a people. God has done these things for us. But jump down to Luke chapter 1. Jump down to verse 76. And look at what he says about his child. Look at what he says about this baby who's just eight days old. And look at the proclamation he makes about this child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. How did Zechariah know this? How can Zacharias make this proclamation? How can he look at this child who is eight days old and say, God is going to do great things in your life. God's going to use you to do wonderful things. How can Zacharias say this? Because Gabriel told him. 
God's messenger had already told him what was going to happen a little over nine and a half months earlier. When he's standing in the temple, when he's standing before the altar of incense, and Gabriel says, you're going to be a dad, and this child is going to be the, pro, pro, uh, the proclaimer, the proclamation, the forerunner. I'm going to spit it out eventually. He's going to be the one that goes ahead of the Messiah. He's the one who's going to be the voice crying in the wilderness. So Zechariah has heard this promise from God's messenger. He now can look at this baby, this child, and say, you're going to do great and wonderful things. You're going to turn people back to God. You're going to be the herald for the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is telling him what's going to happen in his life. He is speaking truth into his life. He is speaking truth over his life. And as I think about this, that this morning, I think about what Zechariah is doing right there and going from God's timing is perfect to this thought. Words have power. Words have power. Think about that for a moment. The things you say can build someone up and the things you say can tear someone down. But I remind you this morning that words have power. Words have the ability that they can shape reality. Words can shape reality. Take your Bibles for a moment. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. And let me show you how words can shape reality. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Notice what Scripture says. The writer of this proverb says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Read that with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Say that with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you tell a child they're stupid, they're going to think they're stupid. If you tell a child they won't amount to anything, they think they can't do anything. If you tell a child they're not good enough, they'll never think they are good enough. Why? Because words have power. Words speak into the lives of individuals. Proverbs says there that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And listen, if a child hears from a parent enough times, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do this, then they'll never try it. Because words have power. But on the other side, if words are uplifting, words are challenging, words are life-changing, then that changes the life of an individual. Again, going back to Luke, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to skip over this. I don't want you to pass this up. Zechariah is holding this child. In Luke chapter 1, verse 76, he says these words to this eight-day-old child. You will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. I can't say that. I can't say those words over my child, not be truthful. I could wish that for my child, but I can't say that. Yet Zechariah can say that. And here is what's the reminder. He says, you, child, are going to be amazing. You're going to be the one who proclaims the coming of the Messiah. 
Think about what happens when you look at your child, your grandchild, and you say to them, you are remarkably and wonderfully made. Scripture tells us that in Psalm 139, verse 14. When's the last time you told your child that they are remarkably and wonderfully made? When have you remind them what Philippians 4.13 says, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? It doesn't say everything. It says all things. If God's leading you and God's lighting you, living in your life, it's not a wish. But it's praying scripture and proclaiming scripture over a child. What about Psalm 8? You were made a little less than God and crowned with glory and honor, and you were made a ruler over the works of your hands. Words matter. Words shape the world. The Bible tells us that at the beginning, God spoke creation into existence. It didn't say God got out the Play-Doh and started working with his hands. It says God spoke it. God said, let there be a tree. There's a tree. God said, let there be a chicken. There's a chicken. That answers the age-old question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. God spoke these things into existence. And if my heavenly Father has the ability to speak things into existence, he speaks things into existence that are good and pleasing for him, why, as a parent and a child of God, am I not going to do the same thing? When it comes to children and grandchildren, why am I not going to speak truth in their life? Why am I not going to speak life into their life, light into their life, goodness and hope into their life? Words have power. Words shape a reality, but also words can steer a destiny. Words can steer a destiny. Again, I sound like a broken record, but go back to Luke 7, chapter 1, verses 76 and 77. Zechariah is speaking these words over his child. He is steering his destiny. He says again, you are going to be child of the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Zechariah says this because an angel told this about his son. Listen, you and I could argue that because it's God's plan John was already going to be a prophet. We could argue that. But think about the authority and the power the words have coming from John's father, speaking this over him. Because he's been praying for this day for nine months as he has been silent. For nine months he's been praying for this child, trying to think what he's going to say when he can talk again. And what he's been praying over this child is how God's going to use him, how God's going to lead him, how God's going to direct his steps. Every time we read scripture, there's a lesson for you and for me. I think the lesson we see this morning is how can you and I, how to shape a child's destiny. How to shape a child's destiny, because that's what we see Zechariah doing. You could even write in, that, in your bulletin this morning, how to shape a child slash grandchild's destiny. Because you speak truth into your children, you speak truth into your grandchildren. So how do you speak truth very quickly? Number one, speak scripture over them. It's interesting to note that verses 68 through 79 of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is quoting 11 different passages of scripture in this proclamation. From verses 68 to 79, 11 different verses of Scripture are being used. 
And you can cross-reference every one of these verses that are being used that Zechariah is speaking. Man, what if we got into the habit of speaking Scripture over those we loved? Not only our children, what about our spouse? What about our co-workers? What about uncles and aunts and grandparents? What if we spend every day speaking Scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking Scripture over them? I don't know if you've seen it, and I almost put it in the, in the, on the PowerPoint this morning. There's a picture of a mother standing outside two bedroom doors with her hands raised, and she's praying over them. She's speaking scripture over them. Think about what would happen and how much our lives would be changed if we were doing that on a regular basis, speaking scripture, praying scripture over those we cared about. We see that in this passage. Zechariah is doing that for his son. But not only do we speak scripture over them, how about this? How about we claim God's promises for them in front of them? Did we look at our children and our grandchildren and say, yes, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for your life. God has something great in store for you. What if we did that on a regular basis? Because we see in Scripture individuals doing this. David claimed this for himself in 2 Samuel 22, verse 30. When you and I can attack a barricade and with my God I can leap over a wall. He's looking at this army. He's leaning and said, yeah, we can do this. But man, when God's with us, we can do so much more. Or what about when Paul tells us, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me in Philippians 4, 13. What about Romans 8, 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, you look over that child or grandchild and you say, listen, with God's help, you can leap over that wall. With God's help, you are able to do great and abundant things. With God's help, you can handle those who come against you. So what does it all boil down to? It's simply this, let Scripture guide your behavior. If the Scripture is guiding your behavior, it's going to be reflective in how you interact and act with your children and grandchildren, with your spouse, with your neighbor, with your coworker. But also do this, let Scripture guide your words. Let God's Word affect your behavior. Let God's Word expect the things that come out of your mouth. Because scripture will shape your perspective. Scripture will change and shape your world. If you allow it to speak into your life, if you allow scripture to become reality in your heart, and you speak scripture to family, you speak scripture to friends, you speak it over them, you speak it directly to them, and pour into their lives, and you speak words of praise. Now listen, all this sounds really simple. All this sounds really easy to do, but there's one more part. There's one more catch. In order for Zechariah to do this, in order for me to do this, in order for you to do this, what we've just talked about this morning, you've got to surrender all to him. That's the only way this happens, is by surrendering everything you are to the one who created you. By surrendering everything you have to the one who sent his son to die for your sins. The only way that we can read the verses we read in 68 through 79 of Luke chapter 1 is because Zechariah has surrendered all to God and given it to him. It's evident in his life. It's evident in his walk. It's evident in his words that he surrendered 
all to him. Here's the question. Have you surrendered all? Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, yes, there are some that are here this morning that can say, yes, I have surrendered all. And it is evident in your life. It is evident in your walk. It is evident in the things that you are doing. But I can also say with certainty that there are some who have maybe have not surrendered all. Because there's part of your life that says, you know what, God? You can have A, B, and C, but I want D. I still want to control this aspect of my life. I still want to control this part of my life. And I haven't surrendered all to him. This morning, there are some that haven't surrendered all to him because you don't know him. Because you don't know the Father, you can't surrender to him. And the reason you don't know the Father is because you don't know the Son. Whatever the case is this morning, my prayer for you is that you would do like Zechariah. Zechariah was not perfect. But Zechariah surrendered all to him. And we see that as he is speaking scripture over this eight-day-old child. He is speaking truth over this child. He is speaking and shaping this child's destiny because the angel had already said what was going to happen. But Zechariah could have said, that's great, Gabriel. You just go and do it, and I'll see you when it gets done. No, Zechariah steps in. This is my child. I'm going to speak truth into his life. This morning, I don't know where you are in your walk, but this morning, you can surrender it all to him. Father, as we move into this time of response, this time of invitation, Father, the prayer is simply this, that we would surrender all to you, not 50%, not 75%, not 99.5, but Father, we would surrender 100% of our life to you. Father, it's only by surrendering to you that we can speak Scripture and truth into the lives of those we care about. This morning, as we move into a time of invitation, a time of response, Father, my prayer is that you would work into the lives and the hearts of individuals. Father, speak to them this morning so we can sing this hymn with boldness. I surrender all. And Father, we pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Let's all stand.